Jai Shri Krishna Shaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Giridhar Shri Vasari Gaurava If you uh, the translation in the in the songbook is one translation that Prabhupada gave, and then you also find another translation in uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, which is uh, a little more esoteric in relationship to uh, you know the gopis' uh, exchanges with Krishna the debauchee. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, He's given two translations. Uh, well, devotees seem to appreciate, you know, as you advance, they appreciate more the one in, in uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita. But again, it's important to remember that, uh, especially the last, the eighth sloka of Shiksastika is speaking about the highest levels of prema, of loving exchange with Krishna, where the concept of the Supreme Lord is absent. There's no concept of God being God when in that realm where uh, everything is service and everything is, is, is saturated with love for Krishna, that love is so overpowering that it overpowers even the concept of Krishna's majesty. We're talking that last verse is is talking of the highest concept of loving exchange with the Supreme, where the Supreme is no longer recognized as Supreme, but rather recognized as ordinary cowherd boy, extraordinary, ordinary cowherd boy, the most extraordinary in the village, so much so that everyone's in love. Should we discuss... uh, (laughs) <laughs> have another istigosti or should we have a Bhagavad Gita class? Everyone satisfied with last week's explanations? No questions have come up during the week? I sent you a letter. Does that make sense? Yeah, I wasn't put off by uh, what Prabhupada said. Okay. Can I understand? There is more juicy statements, I guess. Yes, there are more, and there are more statements that are even what would appear to be more harsh. But they're meant, when, when the great acharyas and the spiritual master chastise us or, or, or wake us up to our situation in the material world, then that's, uh, you know, that's, that's good for our spiritual well-being. Uh, sometimes he, the medicine is there, sometimes he coats it with, with honey and sometimes he lets you taste the bitterness, so... Tasting the bitterness of our material situation uh, is meant to wake us up to uh, our predicament and uh, and egg us on to uh, to want to end the illusion of material existence. No matter what our material situation, no matter what body we've been awarded by material nature, uh, and these these. The it's funny that even we discussed this. Last week, and then uh, one of the uh, 
GBC, sannyasi, guru, uh, leaders of Ishkan, one of the biggest leaders of Ishkan, uh, he gives he does a daily podcast, Shiva Ramswami, the same exact question came up in his podcast. So it's not that this question is not going to be raised, especially when we're still in the material conception of life and still associating with the body. But the fact of the matter is, although I may think that, uh, you know, I'm equal to an Einstein or a, a Cassius Clay, oh, I'm sorry, Muhammad Ali, or think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm as, uh, as beautiful as a, whoever, what, George Clooney's the, the new uh, pick of the day, whatever. The fact of the matter is, my body is different. I'm not the most intelligent. I don't have a brain like Einstein. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have the bo beautiful body of a, of, a, of a ravishing movie star. I don't have the strength to uh, to fight in a in a in a ring and defeat all opponents that come forth. So we all have different bodies, male, female. We're born in different societies, and these bodies come and are rewarded by our prior activities, and they're not equal. I'm not a Brahmin. I'm trying to be a devotee, but a Brahmin? No, I don't think so. Not in this life. It's not my character. Uh, but that doesn't mean no matter what our situation, no matter what body we've been awarded by material nature due to our activities, that does not in any way impede our ability to advance in spiritual life. Spiritual advancement is based on primarily association. So this chapter of Bhagavad Gita speaks a lot. I mean, the first three verses are about the 26th characteristics of uh, those that are godly and then the rest of the chapter <laughs> after a little bit of uh, placation Krishna placates Arjuna no that's okay you're on a battlefield you're a warrior you're a little mad you got to be mad to fight there's anger there's there may be some things that look like uh, they're demoniac uh, in nature and do not worry because uh, you're using them properly even though, and we're going to study, we're going to concentrate just on the 26 qualities of the devotees this evening. Uh, even though we may not see these qualities even in ourselves, And when we read the chapter, we may say, well, wait, I, the last half of the chapter, that applies to me, not the first three verses. You know, I'm full of pride and arrogance and so many other things. I don't have these good qualities. 26 good qualities, but I can see all these bad qualities. And, and these qualities are, are come with the material body. Uh, in reading the commentaries of, uh, you know, Vishwanath Chakravarti and uh, Baladev Vijabhushan, uh, you know, these qualities speak of the birth that someone has received uh, in material nature. So some you know, based on our situation at the time of death and what piety or impiety we had accrued in past life, that determines where we end up, where we start from in the next life. For us, unfortunately, it's, 
being born in the Western world, being born in an uncivilized civilization. We don't have uh, a lot going for us except the mercy of Krishna and Krishna's devotees. That mercy alone is enough to carry us. No matter we're born less than dog eaters. I mean, this society is considered below Sudra. Sudra is the bottom of the civilized society. The Sudra class. They're simply laborers. They simply serve the other classes. This society is below... They, they at least follow regulative principle in life. They at least, you know, accept uh, service to the higher classes. We're born in a civilization of, of, of uncivilized, in Vedic terms, uncivilized men. It's unfortunate, but that's our situation. That's the situation of Kali Yuga. Everyone is born less than Sudra. Even you go to India and you have the so-called Brahmins, still, they're not truly qualified. Primarily, even though we notice in the Aryan civilization, the Vedic civilization, Vedic culture, and I know you had a question on this, is that Hitler's word? <laughs> yep, that's Hitler's word. And Hitler's, Hitler's swastika is actually a Vedic symbol in a mirror. <laughs> really? He turned it around. Yes. <laughs> so what was auspicious, he turned around and made completely inauspicious. But he was also a vegetarian. So he had a concept of, you know, an Aryan civilization. He wanted it. He wanted to weed out the, through his demoniac means, he wanted to weed out. Bhagavad Gita is also looking to weed out bad qualities in civilization, but not at the hands of the sword, only if necessary, and uh, certainly not uh, uh, as conducted by a, a, a demoniac. But yes, he, 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 he had some knowledge of Veda, and he somehow or other, through his own uh, approach... <laughs> which was uh, not meant for satisfying the Supreme Lord, but meant for his own purposes, his demoniac purposes, uh, everything turned out bad. So we're going to read about that also in this chapter, that the so-called religious person, the so-called, you know, they, if they are not following under scriptural direction uh, and from and under the under the true leadership of uh, the spiritual people, the Brahmin class, their arrogance, their pride, their anger, their greed, their lust, those things will make it all unsuccessful. Even though it's in the name of social upliftment or in the name of religious upliftment. Majanatramanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshurn Militanyena, Tasmai Sri Guruvena Maha, was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisance unto him. So these qualities that are being explained in these first three verses 
of the 16th chapter. Generally speaking, they are come to us according to our birth in this world. And, of course, our birth is determined by our activities in past life. So, in civilized society, much emphasis is put on the development of godly qualities. And one's situation in society, the family that they're born in, is generally speaking, or well, it's always dependent on the characteristics, the, the qualifications that we've developed in a prior life. Unfortunately, in Kali Yuga, as we mentioned, everything has gone to hell. So when we look at Bhagavad Gita, and if we look at Vedic culture and Vedic civilization, these concepts of four divisions of social and, uh, and religious life, they're unknown to us. A culture in the world based on this system is also unknown to us. When we look to India today, we see that there is still some semblance of this culture, but it's simply an empty shell of true Vedic culture. In other words, in India today, there's also, just as all over this earthly plane, the influence of this age of Kali, this most degraded age of mankind. Therefore, although they may say that they have, they are following Varnashram Dharma and that they are born in a Brahmin family or a Kshatriya family, uh, the fact of the matter is in Kali Yuga they don't have the qualities of those particular divisions of society. Now, in prior ages, these divisions were naturally there and they were based on the qualities that someone had. And also, the station you were born in, the, the place where you took your birth, was, was also dependent on what your qualifications were. So it's important for us to keep that in mind when we're studying Bhagavad Gita and when we're studying Srimad Bhagavatam is when they talk of Vedic culture, that's the ideal culture for the spiritual upliftment of all of humanity. And there is no discrimination for spiritual advancement no matter what your station in life was in Vedic culture, whether you were a Sudra or a Vaisha or a Kshatriya or a Brahmin, the access for you to spiritual advancement was equal. You just had particular duties according to the body that you got. Simple. Unfortunately, in India, of course, as Kali Yuga came in, although the, in, the, in the proper culture, Vedic culture, 
everything was based on qualities, as Kali Yuga progressed, all of a sudden India turned into a caste system. A caste system based on birth with or without qualities, qualification. So therefore, those that would be born in the highest, most intellectual class, the spiritual leaders, the Brahmins, they would make a claim to their Brahminical status, but they didn't have the qualification of a Brahmin. That's still there. The residue of that misconception where they where the culture doesn't depend on the true qualities of a person, of an individual, but simply on what family they were born in. It's still there in India. If you go to India from America, you will not be allowed entrance into some temples because you weren't, you're, you're not qualified. Your body your bodily designation is such that you will not be allowed. Even in the time of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Namacharya, the devotee of Lord Chaitanya, who was most adept at chanting the Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. He was Haridas Thakur. He was born in a Muslim family. Throughout his life, he lived on a hut outside of the jurisdiction of the temple. He was not allowed entrance into the temple in Puri, where Lord Chaitanya was during the last parts of his life. The last half of his life he spent at Jagannath Puri. But Haridas Thakur, who was the emblem of the Sankirtan movement, of making advancement in spiritual life through serious, dedicated chanting of the Holy Name. Let me tell you how serious and how dedicated. We may find it difficult to chant four, eight, sixteen rounds a day. What to speak of Bhaktivedanta's spiritual master, he required his disciples, if they were not pre on a preaching program, they had to chant sixty-four rounds. Uh, sixty-four rounds, that's four times sixteen. Uh, sixteen rounds you can generally do in two hours. You can imagine they were chanting eight hours a day, just chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, on their beads. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Haridas Thakur chanted three times that amount. 192 rounds, I think it was. Every day. Well, wait a minute. Eight and eight is 16 and eight is 24. When did he sleep? When did he eat? Maybe chanted a little faster than us. So you can imagine his bodily necessities were taken down practically to nil. So he wasn't even allowed to go in the temple. Wow. He's chanting 192 rounds. One, no, three lakhs. 300,000 
names of God every day. He's not allowed in the temple. But Lord Chaitanya, the Supreme Lord himself, is going to his house every day. Still, in India, there is this remnant of a class system that is perfectly there in society for everyone's upliftment. There is certainly a division of men who are intellectuals, who are, re, who are inclined towards religious study throughout their life, who perform sacrifices. And, uh, you know, the priestly class, they're the Brahmins. They're the spiritual masters of society. There's certainly an administrative class, naturally in society. There's certainly a, a Vaisha class, a, a mercantile community, those people that, that, uh, that till the fields and, pro and produce foodstuffs for society and take care of the animals, take care of cows in particular, and, and, and produce milk. Uh, well, they don't produce it, but they take advantage of it and go to the marketplace. They're expert ent uh, entrepreneurs. They simply take a cow and the cow simply goes out in the field and eats a little grass. They milk the cow and then they sell the milk. That's good. It's like great business. And then there's, there's common laborers. Even in our society now, we see these natural divisions of society. We, we see them. They're there. This beginning of the 16th chapter specifically is addressing the fact that Generally in society, and remember, Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna 5,000 years ago at the end of Dwarpa Yuga. This system was still in existence, more or less intact. It hadn't yet started to completely deteriorate. After Krishna left the planet, he wrapped out his pastime, and he left, then Kali Yuga began. So at this time, Kali Yuga has yet to actually come in uh, full force. We'll move on. The social institution known as Varnashram Dharma, that's what we're talking about, the institution dividing society into four divisions of social life and four occupational divisions or castes, is not meant to divide human society according to birth. Such divisions are in terms of educational qualifications. So it's not meant to divide people according to birth. Although in before Kali Yuga, it was the birth of people was so controlled that generally where you took birth, that was according to your qualities and your qualification. They are to keep the society in a state of peace and prosperity. The qualities mentioned herein are explained as transcendental qualities meant for pay, making a person progress in spiritual understanding so that he can get liberation from the material world. Now as we read through this, poor poor, if any questions come up, let's ask them as we read through, okay? In the Varnashram institution, the sannyasi, or the person in the renounced order of life, is considered to be the head or the spiritual master of all 
social statuses and orders. A Brahmana is considered to be the spiritual master of the three other sections of society, namely the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas, and the Sudras. But a sannyasi, who is on the top of the institution, is considered to be the spiritual master of the Brahmana also. For a sannyasi, the first qualification should be fearlessness. Because a sannyasi has to be alone without any support or guarantee of support. He has simply to depend on the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If one thinks, after I leave my connections, who will protect me? He should not accept the renounced order of life. Sanyasi has to be that spiritually advanced to be complete, completely dependent on the mercy of the Lord. If someday he, there's no food coming, then he takes that as Krishna's mercy. I'm expected to fast today. And if all of a sudden someone offers him a sumptuous feast, he accepts that as Krishna's mercy. He's completely dependent. And Prabhupada's making the point here. If you're not at that level of spiritual qualification, don't take the sannyas order. You're not ready for it yet. We could talk more about sannyas, but in, in this age, it is so difficult for mankind to rise up to this highest standard, highest spiritual standard. It's so difficult for them that sannyas is not recommended at all in this age. Well, there's a question. Well, why do I see in the Hare Krishna movement a lot of sannyasis? Why is that? Krishna Nam will ask you. Because in Kali Yuga, sannyas is not recommended. It is done for the purpose of preaching, huh. spreading Krishna consciousness. And Lord Chaitanya himself, he accept uh, sannyas uh, because the students they were not able to accept his authority uh, when he started preaching Krishna consciousness to them. Because they, were, they, they saw him as the more uh, equal than, than uh, there was not enough respect towards him. So accepting the, the position in the society of sannyasi, which is so uh, respect, respected in the society, gives you better opportunity to preach and, and get the respect necessary for someone to listen to you. So this was the, the reason why Lord Chaitanya accepts sannyas. And uh, that's why his followers will follow uh, just for the cause of preaching, uh, not for any other reason, personal, you know, gain or to, to show their austerity or whatever. It is not taken into consideration as the effectiveness in preaching. Darcy? It seems so that I mean, in America, sannyas doesn't really mean anything. So how does it actually help a devotee preach more? I can see, like, maybe in India, they have some respect for sannyas. So, you know, with, I don't know if they'll even listen more attentively, but there'll at least be more respect. But in the rest of the world, does it, does, do you think it has any real effect on people? Once people realize what that word means, what it refers to, at least, like they priest. know the person is, is leading by example. Like a priest. 
was very nice what they're doing or putting into practice what what they're preaching so maybe that has some weight I had a question uh, Abai is does that mean fearless mm -hmm. use as a name okay yes sir sorry if I can answer only all right that uh, actually Prabhupada was not so proud about from his you know, creating, generating sannyasis. He was more proud of his disciples. And, and he was saying that my spiritual master created army of sannyasis. I created army of disciples who are equally capable of preaching. Uh, nevertheless, he selected some, you know, group of the devotees and he asked them to accept sannyas or, or you know, they asked him to accept sannyas or whatever circumstances and uh, but nevertheless Prabhupada wanted them to do that uh, just to like create proper society. society proper structure in the society and because of time when you develop uh, how to say society like you know you're saying that in western countries we don't have perception of what really means but in the in the spiritual society, as we want to ISKCON be, uh, we have this perception, and and it's helpful and to us, you know, when when uh, and you know even in Western countries there are so many Indians that you know they, they, they can relate to that, and to some degree, you know, even not not the majority of the of the society in large can can appreciate that some can, but but nevertheless, you know, it is good point to to preach to people and when you see sannyasi even if you are from western countries here you think that you know Buddha is weird or he's into something so you know if, if I'm really curious you know why not to ask him you know it's give, it gives opportunity to, to preach it's interesting when uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami came to the western world he did turn on and turn off the sannyasi spigot from time to time yeah. testing uh, he, he wanted to encourage his young disciples and he let them go out on the limb as far as they wanted. <laughs> and sometimes they fell off. Uh, sometimes it was uh, uh, in, in their enthusiasm. They may, took, may have taken on more. Uh, we see now uh, in the institution of uh, the largest Krishna conscious institution in the world, uh, Ishkan, the largest preaching institution that uh, the sannyas order is very very strictly regulated now more so than it ever was during uh, uh, Srila Prabhupada's time there's something to be said about that and the, the value of that we can see in the in that largest uh, is institution of uh, Vaishnavs preaching Vaishnavs in the world, that uh, the, the frequency of fall-down has diminished over the decades. Yes, sir? It's like, I, I was wondering if um, that was one of the things that um, Vaishnavs in India were taken aback by as far as this radical move by Srila Prabhupada of, you know, mixing men and women in the temple and things of that sort, but by people taking sannyas, it, it seems like, I don't know if it's 
in ancient times, it seems like more of something that was that happened as part of a, a process. That's so correct. As an older person yes. that sort of um, dealt with a lot of their they were at the end of life and things of that threw sort. everything off and, and were willing to renounce. And so perhaps that's part of why there are less people falling down because they're, they're perhaps Getting more of an appropriate age. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, is, 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 do people right. think about it's that? The, the institution, ISKCON, the largest Vaishnava preaching institution, as I said, is, seems to have, have brought that in, in, into some, some pretty uh, serious control. But in the in the beginning, yes, Prabhupada was he simply fanned the fires of enthusiasm of his disciples and empowered them himself with the ability to do so much. Um, it's very unfortunate if somebody goes into that renounced order of life who's yet reached the stage of spiritual fearlessness, as Prabhupada points out in the purport. It's a very dangerous thing. And if it is approached in this age with any objective other than preaching, it's very dangerous. It's not recommended at all. Krishna's devotees are so enthusiastic enthusiastic to, to spread Krishna consciousness that they are willing to take the risk of sannyas in this fallen age. And therefore we should show them all respect because it is a very risky business and that it's not even recommended. Scripture says don't do it. For preaching, we're willing to, to take shelter of, of Lord Chaitanya's Sankirtan movement, take shelter of our spiritual master and take this most serious stage of spiritual life uh, simply to preach and spread Krishna consciousness. It's a very dangerous position. That's what it means by fearlessness. It's so dangerous, I'm willing to go into the forest of sannyas, which in this age is very dangerous for the purpose of preaching and spreading Krishna consciousness. So they're, be, they're to be greatly appreciated, especially in the society of Vaishnavas. Society at large, as Archie said, may or may not recognize the value uh, society at large, especially in the Western world, uh, they hear the word guru, they hear the word sannyas, they, they go, oh, wow, you know. But as far as truly understanding what it means, uh, that's not really prevalent in our society yet. Uh, we can see it's certainly prevalent in Indian society, so much so that if a sannyasi falls down, there are laws. <laughs> Uh, against uh, such an imposter that come into effect. Recently, a, a big, big world, world-renowned sannyasi who had a, a worldwide movement did break the vows of sannyas and was uh, caught in some compromising situations. And he was apprehended after two months in India and in reading the charges, I read some of the articles, uh, in reading there were actually charges. There's, there are laws in Indian books regarding someone that puts himself forward as a spiritual leader, as sannyasi, and doesn't maintain that. So that's, that's a, that was kind of interesting. 
We haven't introduced those laws here on our books yet. <laughs> but they do have a pretty catastrophic effect on, on people's faith, I think. Um, people who are not, for example, uh, I was raised in a Protestant church, but my brother converted to Catholicism and his wife. And about 10 years ago, when things really started to hit with the Catholic church, they just stopped going. They just, I mean, they were pretty devout, and they just, the bottom dropped out for them. Mm -hmm. so. That's also sinyas when we look to the yeah, yeah. priestly class of an institution like that. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I don't truly understand what a sinyas is and what's the difference between a sinyas. Sanyas and um, a regular devotee. Okay. There's no difference. Let's start there. We're all devotees of Krishna, first and foremost. And our first and foremost duty is to always remember Krishna and never forget him. So all devotees are equal on that level. Uh, however, uh, as far as what is a sanyas, a sanyas is a celibate preacher. He has renounced. Uh, he has renounced family life. To society, he is considered a dead man. He has no social connection. He's totally, as pointed out in the purport here, dependent on Krishna. He has no source of income. He depends on Krishna to provide something. He has nobody to feed him daily. He has no no way to to feed or clothe himself. He's completely renounced of this world, so much so that society society looks on them as as they have no obligation whatsoever on the material plane. So comparison in our society would be a monk goes to the goes into the monastery and gives up even the concept of married life and dedicates his life 100%, 100% to God. Uh, the difference between the Hare, the Hare Krishna sannyasi and the monk, the monk withdraws himself from society for protection. The Vaishnava sannyasi in this age, the Krishna conscious sannyasi, immerses himself in society to uplift society. So he goes out into society and preaches. So he, he's putting himself in a much more dangerous position than a monk would by going off to a monastery. Does that answer your question? Yeah, not too many monks on Facebook. Hmm? Not too many monks on Facebook. No. Well, there are swamis on Facebook. Yeah, but not monks. And we've also seen sometimes the monks, they, the monks, of course, they're, they're studying religious scripture. They're studying, they want to be lovers of God and they'll come across Prabhupada's books. And I had one monk, uh, I forget his name, but I used to, years ago, correspond with him and send him. He wanted all of Prabhupada's books as they became available. So I'd make sure every time something came out, the book would go first to him. He was also a, a customer of the uh, archives when I worked at the archives. So I knew him at New Vrindavan through correspondence. I also knew him when I worked at the archives 
and he would get all of the tapes of, of Prabhupada, the tape ministry, and then the CD ministry, and all the books that we published there uh, in installments. So he got everything. Eventually, he took Vaishnava initiation. Of course, he was given a, a devotee name at that time, but he never left the monastery. For him, he still had that. He, he felt for his spiritual life, he, would, he had become so accustomed to that lifestyle that he didn't want to leave that, and he felt that he was, he sec, he was secure there. He probably was. What was his name, Oliver? Huh? What was his name? Do you remember? I do not remember. Do you remember? No, but I don't think it was Oliver. No, I don't think so. Because I remember one, one, one monk. I think, yeah. I, I, I was just curious if this was the same person, because uh, I remember when I was in the temple in Poland, there was, uh, there was I mean, in the 90s, late, late 90s, 90s, some monk traveling him, and he had, you know, he was Vaishnava initiated, and, uh, and he was there practicing as a monk. But, uh, I mean... I think he was a Trappist, right? A Trappist monk? Franciscan. Uh, either Trappist or Franciscan. But I, 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 there could be certainly more than one, believe me. I mean, if somebody starts reading Prabhupada's books, then the appeal of their, the, the, the scriptures of uh, the Catholics, uh, you know, they, they pale in comparison with the depth of knowledge. Not with the, they just, there's so much knowledge there, intimate knowledge of, of the Supreme Lord uh, and the loving exchanges which he has with devotees, which are, are not there. So, we'll move on then. One must be fully convinced that Krishna, or the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in his localized aspect as Paramatma, is always within. That he is seeing everything and he always knows what one intends to do. One must thus have firm conviction that Krishna as Paramatma will take care of a soul surrendered to him. I shall never be alone, one should think. Even if I live in the darkest region of a forest, I shall be accompanied by Krishna and he would give me all protection. That conviction is called abhayam, fearlessness. This state of mind is necessary for a person in the renounced order of life. Bhaktivedanta Swami was a householder throughout his life and finally he, he renounced, uh, he left household life and uh, moved to Vrindavan and took up residence in uh, the main temple in Vrindavan. At some time, he was given charge by higher authority to take sannyas. And he was, he, he, re, he relates that at that time, he was, he was horrified at the idea of having to take sannyas. But of course, you know, he, 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 he became, he certainly was fearless in his spiritual life and he did take sannyas, but even someone Bhaktivedanta Swami's caliber was realizes the what are the potential difficulties of, of taking sannyas in this age. As an example for us. I'll leave it at that. So who do you know is taking sannyas in the Krishna movement in this country? Who do I know? Mm -hmm. Oh many. 
His godbrothers. Yeah, I mean, I can I can give you a huge list. Mm. Uh, Where do they live? Besides, they don't actually <laughs> not attached in a particular place. They travel a lot. Yeah, generally they travel. Uh, you'll see this summer uh, there'll be. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Triparari Swami will come and speak here at our house. Mm-hmm. He's uh, been a sannyas since the mid seventies. I'm sure Jai Dwayta will come. Uh, he's already written me, so he'll be here. He's been a sannyasi also for that same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're lucky and Hridayananda travels again, you'll meet the jolliest of sannyasis, an intellectual genius uh, who uh, even his, his youth d- defeated you know, uh, great scholars uh, when he was what, not even 30 years old, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you'll get a kick out of him. He's, he's very hilarious. If you want, uh, you can travel down the road to Hillsboro and generally probably, probably four or five months out of the year, Beer Krishna Goswami, uh, he's the head of that temple mm-hmm. and, uh, He's there, you know, as I said, quite a bit, but he travels a lot also. But she said they generally travel. But he, he spends a lot of time in Hillsboro. If you want to see a lot of sannyasis, uh, there's a festival next weekend in West Virginia, and there'll be uh, some big sannyasis coming to that. At this time, unfortunately for us here in the United States, this isn't a very ripe preaching field anymore <laughs> for the sannyasi. So uh, most most of the sannyasis are traveling in Europe and other parts of the world. They'll come through the United States, but they don't give a lot of emphasis to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that'll, I'm sure that'll change again. As, as our culture goes through more and more difficulties, we'll become ripe again for spiritual life. Uh, as the materialism fades away, so there's so many. You know. I was thinking um, maybe four or five years ago, Naranjana Swami came through maybe twice in one year, and then the following year. And I know he does a lot of work. In he's Russia. also yeah. Well, also his body is giving him some difficulty, so he's spending most of his time, I think, in Hungary or in the city temple in Budapest. Is that Budapest, Hungary? Uh, Last time I saw him was there, and that was two years ago, and he, he wasn't traveling at that time. And I know he's been, he's been there just for his health at the temple in Hungary, the mm-hmm. farm community, mm-hmm. and hasn't traveled a lot. Is his, his, knee, uh, his knee better? Or? I don't know. I, I saw him two years ago, and uh, we, didn't, we were just going through Hungary real quick on the way to India just to see the farm, and uh, I just saw him for 10 minutes, so I don't, I didn't have time to, to talk with him. But he also, very nice devotee, if he comes. He used to come to the archives a lot, every year. I have an observation. Um, Lord Chaitanya and Srila Prabhupada took sannyas after their grahasta life, but I think they are all, I, maybe you can tell me, the uh, ISKCON sannyasis are have not gone through grihasta life first. 
Yes. Uh, so, I mean, are, are there any that have gone through the house door? Yes. There are? And that have been taken to the house and mm-hmm. initiated the sexes? Mm-hmm. Dear Krishna? He was a Grihasta? Yes. If, if a sannyasi has the name Goswami, that means he was a householder first. Oh, okay. This is news to me. Good. Vridayananda yeah. Goswami. He was also a householder. Mm-hmm. Of course, they took sannyas at a very young age in the movement, so they were maybe a householder for a couple of years. But generally, it's it's best that you go through householder life and then take sannyas. But again, this is for preaching purposes. So many things to do. So if they say Swami... That means they probably took sannyas from brahmachari life. Mm-hmm. And if their name is Goswami, they took sannyas from householder life. Mm, but they didn't necessarily go through Vanaprastha. No, not in this, no. No, Vanaprastha is practically unknown in Ishkhan at this time, mm-hmm. in, in the formal institution. Right now, there is a uh, during the process of accepting the sannyas, they need to go for like, uh, I believe the, the minimum is like five years in the period where they are waiting for nomination or waiting, you know, they are on the waiting list. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, you could consider it as the, as the short period of... Vanaprastha, yeah. You know, uh, you're on Mahamantra, so you've been in Hillsborough. Yeah. Time will tell. Talk to him. He just seems sort of like go to probation or get rid of this approving period or transition. I didn't know that. The Jaga Guru is heading that direction too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very Krishna. He had one daughter in in Krishna consciousness. She married a devotee, and so I I seen him come to visit him at the temple. So, it's nine o'clock. We could read this poor court. We'd be here all night. Uh, uh, I just wanted to give us a little bit more depth. Basically, the these qualities and the first three qualities. And I encourage all of you to read the poor court. Uh, they apply the different qualities apply to the different ashrams, the Varn ashram system. Uh, so the first qualities, and that's why Prabhupada's purport starts out talking about sannyas, the first three qualities are those specifically necessary for the sannyas. Fearlessness, uh, uh, fearlessness, purification of one's existence, cultivation of spiritual knowledge. Those are sannyas. Uh, the Gridhastras, the next ones are uh, charity, self-control, and performance of sacrifice. So as we would have gone on in the foreport, then we would have gone through the, the those qualities which are specific to the Gurdhastra ashram. But really, these qualities, we, we need to take a look at all of them uh, as necessary for our upliftment to the mode of goodness. But... First and foremost, we'll close on this note. First and foremost, it doesn't matter what our, where we have 
been stationed in life, what where our body has 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 taken its birth, even though it be in the Western world in an uncivilized society. Now, we when, again, when we say uncivilized, we mean not Vedic civilized, not spiritually civilized. Uh, the main the main thing is association. If you hang out with a drunkard day in and day out, what do you think is going to happen? You get a haircut, honest for barbershop. <laughs> You're going to end up being a drunkard. If you want to develop spiritual qualities, hang out with spiritual people. Hang out with people who are aspiring to advance in spiritual life. So association is the key ingredient to developing the qualities that you want to, that you value. And specifically, if you're truly anxious to advance in Krishna consciousness, we have to associate with Krishna's devotees. And if we associate with them, these qualities will come automatically. We don't strive for qualities. We strive to engage in the nine processes of devotional service. We don't independently take time or energy to become truthful, to become clean, to become any of these, fearless. We spend our time in the nine angas, the nine limbs of devotional service, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasevanam, archanam, vandanam, dasyam, sakyam, atma, devedanam, hearing, chanting, remembering, offering prayers. We do those things under the direction of the spiritual master and naturally godly qualities will come. We don't need to strive for them independently. And we'd already touched upon that back, uh, what was it, three or four chapters ago in those 20, 20 items of knowledge. We, we discussed that mm -hmm. these qualities, they come naturally as we chant. The most important thing for our spiritual development is chanting Hare Krishna. And we realize we can't chant 300,000 300, names a day. We can't even chant 100,000. Lord Chaitanya would not take prasadam in anyone's house who didn't chant 64 rounds a day. When Prabhupada came, he said we chant 64 rounds a day. Devotees couldn't, there's, it's not, it wasn't possible. He said, okay, just 32. No, couldn't do 32. All right, let's do 16 rounds a day. But it's, under, it's important to understand that do your 16, work yourself up, whatever the time frame is. If you only start with one or two rounds, work, at, just maintain that. Gradually, if you can advance and come to the position of 16 rounds, that's ideal. And as you advance, as you go on, as your time allows, increase your chanting. Uh, especially in old age. Don't definitely uh, increase your chanting. It's the most important thing for our spiritual advancement in this age. Nothing is more important. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.